People don't care about your business. They care about their problems. Be the solution that they are looking for. Tori Birch. This episode was an eye-opener for me because I realized that I had put my vision of what entrepreneurship looks like in a box, but my guest today opened that box right on up for me. You have the power to be the boss of your own life. I'm your host, Monica Allen. I'm a wife, mom, entrepreneur, best-selling author, lifelong learner, and your biz bestie. I have a love and passion for all things small business. Growing my own company from $700 to over seven figures annually, my goal is to bring you inspiration, business-focused topics and tips, encouragement, and a community that helps you launch, grow, and scale your business, whether you are a dreamer, a side hustler, or a seasoned entrepreneur. You are listening to the Become Your Own Boss podcast. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Zeus's Closet, where we're like a tattoo shop for your clothes. As we approach the gift-giving season, give your friends, family, coworkers, and team members something that they will not want to re-gift. Customers in the past have shipped in their loved one's favorite team's jersey to add their name or dropped off a plush bathrobe to get mom's name added. We can also help you come up with some great swag to give to your team. Visit Zeus'sCloset.com to learn more. I met my guest today thanks to my family's recent vacation to Nairobi, Kenya. Robin Gregg was gracious enough to host those of us preparing to travel at her home for a summer cookout about a month before we left on our trip. Robin's professional credentials include a Harvard MBA, Capital One, Fleet Corps, Revolution Money, which sold to Amex, and Management Consulting. She now serves as CEO at RoadSync, a company taking the lead in modernizing logistics transactions and financial management. Let's jump into my conversation with Robin. Robin, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Well, my first question for you is how did you start RoadSync or what led you to led you to starting your business, that business? Yeah, I actually technically did not start this business, and but it's an interesting uh, way to, there's lots of ways to come to entrepreneurship. And this, I guess, is one of them. I have been in payments for a really long time. I actually started my career at Capital One, ran a medical lending product for them for several years, had my first entrepreneurial experience for another payments company out of St. Petersburg, Florida, called Revolution Money, which was a venture-backed alternative payments network that we sold to Amex in 2010. And then that brought me to Atlanta. I did not want to move with Amex, the acquiring business to New York City. I had a toddler at the time and kind of doing the New York thing with a toddler sounded very unappetizing. I actually reconnected with another Capital One alum who was COO of a company called Fleet Corp which is the world's largest provider of commercial payments and field card solutions. We IPO'd while I was there. It was a really exciting run. I was a a general manager of one of their divisions here in the United States. Had a seven-year career there, ran a pretty big chunk of their business. 
and really just got the itch to do something entrepreneurial again. I wasn't excited about eking out single digit growth of my big portfolio of business cards and really wanted to do something different. So I left with the support of, of my boss, actually worked for that same guy who hired me almost the entire time I was at Fleet Corps and tried to start my own business. And what my business was focused on was reselling digital software solutions for the small business segment through sort of traditional tactics. The observation was like a lot of new payroll solutions and lending and stuff that was being delivered online. They were only getting reaching their customers digitally. And I knew from Fleetcore that there's all these sort of blue collar businesses like repair shops and construction businesses that do their business still over the phone and, and more kind of traditional traditional ways and that some of these new digital solutions weren't reaching them. And so I had stood up a big call center in Houston to resell these various products and it was going fairly well. And then in the fall of 2017, Hurricane Harvey like walloped Houston. I don't know if you remember this. And literally my call center that I was working in was underwater four months. I mean, it was just devastating to that business. It was kind of a crazy experience. I had to figure out what to do next. And what happened was there was a a company that was very early. It was five people. They had a product in market and their angel investors had asked me to come and take a look at it because the original founding team decided they hated each other's guts and (laughs) just kind of didn't have a path forward. The investors asked me to take a look and help them decide whether or not they should walk away from the business or continue to fund it. And I totally fell in love with it. I thought that I could make a really interesting business out of it. And that's how I came to this business. This business was originally called My Lumper, which is a name of... uh, Lumper is somebody who unloads trucks at food distribution and grocery distribution centers. And this was to automate payments for lumper facilities. What happens in the industry is a trucker has to pay to have their vehicle unloaded at these spots. And it's very clunky, paper-based and manual. And the team had come up with a way to automate that. And um, I thought we could do a bunch of different things with that. So I re- took over the company. I became its CEO, took on a large you know, stake in it and you know, raised some money to prove out that we could build a business. And I rebranded it RoadSync. And that was how I came to being an entrepreneur. Wow. The long story. So, <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is it's definitely a unique story from where I sit when so with the different entrepreneurs that I speak to on the show, yep. that's a different way of getting there. And honestly, I'm amazed by it because it's something new for me. So now I have all different types of questions. I can like throw my questions that I had out the window. My first thing is when you walked into that business, where were they in regards to revenues? Almost zero. It was actually just a proof of concept. So they had several kind of beta customers who were just trying out the new solution. They really liked it. That's actually what sold me. I went and visited a couple of client facilities and they were super excited about what what was being done. And the product at that time was terrible. I mean, it was like a Google form. It was just super, super basic. And people were so excited to have something to help them with their business. And so I was like, oh, they're they're on to something. There is something, there is a business here. We obviously have built something that people have want and need. And trucking is massive. So the logistics industry in the United States is an $800 billion industry. And this is just one of a myriad of payments and kind of financial transactions that are done with paper in some forms, either like an invoice or a check, or they still use money orders and cash. 
And so I felt like there was really an interesting market opportunity there. But yeah, the company was basically a zero. I mean, it was really in retrospect of foolish thing for me to take on. It was almost no dollars in revenue. Company was out of money. So I had to actually go around to the existing angel investors and raise a little bit of money to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And you know, it didn't have a paying, really paying customers at that point in time. Wow. It was early, early, early. That's so fascinating to me because I know you through Entrepreneurs Organization, mm-hmm. which is EO. You're in an EO Atlanta. My question for you in regards to that, in order to be a part of EO, of course, you've hit seven figures. Mm-hmm. How did you go from zero to seven figures in that? Like, what would you contribute that to? I mean, it was it was to start from having something that customers wanted and was actually solving a major pain point. You know, if you think about running a business in general, one of the most important things to your business is getting paid for your work. And if if that process is slow and cumbersome and we can make it faster, more resilient, make sure that people collect money faster. Like that's pretty compelling, especially in the logistics industry where it's a very cash strapped industry overall. And I think the way we were able to do it was we built something people wanted Mm -hmm. and they were willing to pay for and was important to them. It was an important thing they use each and every day. And so we got, my first task was to go around to the beta customers and convince them to sign contracts and start paying us. And they did. We were actually able to get, so I took the business over in the fall of 2017, very little revenue that first year, you know, low, 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 six digits was where we got to in that first year. And I was able to get into EO, you have to have a million dollar run rate revenue or actually trailing revenue. And I was able to join EO kind of late 2018. So we got there pretty quickly. Yeah, but, um, mm-hmm. definitely, you know, having something that people want. I did not realize the logistics industry was so big or trucking, but I mean, Mm -hmm. I definitely can see that being that we all want our stuff and we all want it as fast as possible. Everything from groceries to clothes and all the things that we need, but definitely makes sense in that you were able to do and who doesn't want to get paid faster. Right. 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 Well, and it's also over the last couple of years, it's an industry that's been under dramatic transformation. COVID meant that people all of a sudden started getting their goods online. It basically, I saw this graph and if I can find it, I'll send it to you. But over like a three or four month period, the number of purchases that we made online went from like 10 to 15% to like 30%. And when you're doing, buying this stuff online, that means all this stuff has to be shipped to your house and it has to be staged in distribution centers. And it's just a fundamentally different way of getting goods to consumers. And so if you think about that dramatic shift, this industry had to grapple with that. They had to grapple with things like, you know, truck stop restaurants being closed and they couldn't go in and get food because of COVID, like during those time periods, like you just, you know, it was a very stressful time period where they had to kind of keep everything running, keep the nation fed, keep us all in our goods that we needed and and just a massive change in how businesses, how the world was operating. And so I think that really required people to be open to new technology and things that automate things. For us, we actually were able to facilitate contact-free payments. So we all saw that, right? Like restaurants started doing contact-free payments. Yes. I've never used contact-free more than I than I have in the last two years. And you know, that 
adoption happened in the consumer world where we were able to do that too in the trucking industry. So when truckers paid for stuff, they could stay in their cabs versus having to be face-to-face with the warehouse clerk who was unloading their goods and then potentially get that person sick and cause issues and labor shortages and facilities. It was interesting. This has been a very interesting time for this industry that's really under a lot of change and pressure given everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. I didn't even think about the fact that they couldn't stop to eat like that. Mm -hmm. That in itself is just something I didn't think about for people who are moving our goods. Yeah. And you can't, you can't take a truck through the Chick-fil-A (laughs) drive-through. Right. No, No. if the truck stops aren't open, then some of these folks had a really hard time figuring out where to, where to eat. It was a really crazy time period to operate this business for me personally, we, at the beginning of COVID, my team was about 20, 25 people. We're now kind of 80 to 90. And wow. we hired all those folks during COVID. And so scaling a business while I had kids, at, I mean, I, you and I have similar age children, like yeah. I had, had two kids at home and trying to like run a business and, you know, homeschool, <laughs> you know, as so I got the kids doing their video schooling and I'm on Zoom calls. I mean, it was a really interesting time period, a difficult time period to be scaling a business rapidly, which would be hard even in the most you know smooth sailing of times. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, just like we thank our military when we see them in the airports and stuff, we need to thank a trucker because it's yeah. amazing that we got all our stuff and we're still, I mean, I know we're still having some logistical issues, even in the industry that I'm in more of the logistics though is around manufacturing and actually yeah. getting the goods, you know, getting the yeah. goods made from China or Pakistan or wherever they're coming from to here. But for those truckers who are here in the U S who are moving all these things, yes, thank you for all that you do and all you've been doing. I haven't been to a store in so long. Like I just don't even Yep. go anymore. I literally yep. order stuff online and they've made returns so easy now. They send you return labels and it's just made life a lot easier for me um, anyway. So. Yeah. I mean, I think for working moms or I mean, just for people in general with busy lives, like it is so much easier to have those available to us. But trekking is a fascinating industry. It's very one of the highest rates of subcontractors and sort of owner operators. So it's just where a lot of small business creation happens. You know, a lot of people are becoming their own boss in the trekking industry. It's actually part of the ethos of the industry. And I think it's going to, it's kind of here to stay because if you, a trucker, a typical long haul trucker is behind the wheel of a truck up to 200 days a year. And so it's this kind of maverick personality that likes to be autonomous and independent and see the country. You know, it's it's such an I think I can't think of another industry that kind of has that business creation as part of its culture and sort of uh, you know how the industry functions like like the trucking industry does. And I so I have a lot of affection for it. Plus it's a really I think it's a really hard job. Yeah, it's definitely a hard job. My neighbor when I was growing up was a truck driver and I just remember he was gone so much. I mean, they I think he had five kids and you know, his wife and she of course held down the home front, but I just remember he was gone a lot and so whenever he pulled in, like all the kids in the neighborhood knew he was coming back cuz he was gone so often, but it was just nice to have him in the community and we got to see him work really really hard to be all over the place and get people their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of being a mom (laughs) and growing this business, how has that been? I mean, I know we definitely went through COVID, which was in itself 
crazy. Yeah. But now that we've kind of moved past that, how is that balance of Ethan? He doesn't like to really use the word balance, but how has that <laughs> been with like juggling mompreneurship and, and your business? Yeah, I think it's real. I have two boys, they're 15 and 10. And I think it's really healthy for them to see their mom work. And, you know, what's actually been nice about kind of the COVID world and the work from home world over the last couple of years is like, they are more, they see more of what I do. I don't know what they think I do necessarily. I mean, my oldest understands it. I think my 10 year old's like mom talks on Zoom calls for a living. I think that's what she, she does. Nothing but Zoom. But, you know, to see, to see what I do and how I work and the type of conversations I'm having, like they kind of get a little more insight into what mom does all day over the last couple of years. And so that's been good. And I think it's kind of healthy for, you know, my kids to see me to work, but also for my employees to see me mom and my employees see my kids. They see them on Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> my 10 year old used to like to dress Running up in the background. Yeah. Floating in the background. He'd dress up. He'd like, like I would, there'd be like a star Wars trooper coming behind me. And then he'd go back by and then it'd be like a Spider-Man and then he'd go back by, was, you know, he, he had a whole performance, but I love that, <laughs> but it was good for everyone to kind of see that that was, it's hard, you know, it's hard to balance it and then, you know, be everywhere. But I think it's helpful for my employees to know that I'm, doing pickups. I'm taking, I'm taking calls while I'm like sitting at basketball practice and, you know, just to see how I'm doing it. Like I have, I think with my corporate job, I felt like I had to hide that Mm. and I did not make that visible. So it was like, I was always dressed up. I was, you know, work was separate from home. Didn't really, you know, had a little discreet picture of my children on my desk, but that was it. Like it wasn't really woven into my life mm-hmm. and my personality like it is now. And I think I, I would be doing a disservice to my employees to not show them how the the pitfalls and the goods of, of being a mom and working and, and like how I'm doing it. And they see me, you know, being crazed sometimes and sometimes, you know, the fun parts of having my children here. And, and so it's, I think it's been good to, to sort of be a little bit more transparent about what I'm doing and not be apologetic for it. Exactly. I totally agree with that. It's so funny because I started getting on clubhouse during COVID and initially people would kind of apologize if you would hear a kid in the background And most people would just say, don't even worry about it because we know we're all at home. We're all trying to work and and do the things to all the things. And I think that has been one great thing about COVID too, is just bringing that those two worlds together. And you are, we are multifaceted. We aren't just our work and we aren't just our kids' parents, but it's all together. And I think it's important that people see both sides of that. I think that's a, a very good point. Robin. Yeah. No, I think it's good. And it humanizes you. I mean, one of the things that people want, especially now out of their, their bosses and out of, you know, the companies that they work for is they want to feel like they are working for with sincere, authentic people. Right. (laughs) You kind of have like, you got to bring your whole self, right? Right. So it's good for them to see my struggles and uncertainties. And, you know, and I I kind of apply that to like what's going on in the business as well. I mean, this is not 
you know, taking a business from zero to 10 million is not, is not a like straight line effort at all. And there are moments where it's hard and, you know, the business has takes its bruises and it's good for everyone to understand that. And, and so I think that that's just, I, I kind of consider all that being part of, of kind of leading the company and making people feel like they can trust me in the good times and bad, and that I'll tell them what's going on and they can come to me with their problems and they can bring their whole selves to work too. I love that. That is definitely so important. Zero to 10 million in five years. What would you say was, has been the biggest challenge? Well, I, I think I mentioned, I took this, this over from Mm -hmm. the original founding company team and, you know, navigating that, that meant everything meant there was a nugget of a business there that I could take over, which is different than like starting from zero, zero, but it meant I was starting at a very difficult place, which was pretty, pretty young and new to, but with existing investors, with existing personalities and existing management team conflict and existing founder conflict and just a lot of stuff that had to be navigated. And so I do think overall that up the degree of complexity for the business and having to manage with all the, all those personalities and sort of, you know, I didn't, I didn't pick any of those people. I came to it. Right. Right. And it, which is different from, Hey, I decided I wanted to start a business with a certain group of people with a certain group of investors. And you still may not like where you end up, but like, it is, it's a very different experience navigating it. When you take something over, I took something over and it was small and it was kind of, you know, fragile, right. Cause it was so new. Yeah. So I think that's, that has been the biggest problem and not just navigating that. And I think it has upped the degree of complexity for me and in ways I, I could never have anticipated when I took it over. Right. Yeah. Wow. Working with investors, that's not a world that I reside in at mm-hmm. all, though I read a lot about it. I don't really understand it all and its complexities. Were you only working with the original angel investors or did you have to go out and find new investors for the firm as well? Yeah. So we're a pretty typical venture funded company. You know, venture capital is designed to invest in high growth, usually software technology based businesses. And, you know, that you you basically deploy a lot of capital quickly in the spirit of growing the business quickly. And, you know, we've seen a lot of these companies in Silicon Valley kind of grow in that model, that Mm -hmm. investment model. The company originally had a a little bit of angel money, which is sort of all individual high net worth investors. And so that's what we started with. And that was what I came to. And the business had had about a million, a little, a little north of a million in funding. I then raised another round. It's typical to sort of raise additional rounds of capital as the business grows in order to scale for future growth. And so I raised our first professional round in 2018, which was sort of from professional investors. That was a two and a half million dollar round. We call it a seed stage round. The next mm-hmm. one was a series A, which was a bigger round, like about a $6 million round and right before COVID in 2020. And then I raised our series B, which is the third round of professional capital in 2021. But the company's raised 40 million in outside capital and 39 of it has been from, I've raised since, wow. since sort of the beginning. Yeah, but it's different. I mean, it's a very different way of running the business. Obviously, our investors sit on the board. They have an opinion about how we grow the business. 
You're trying to grow fast, way faster than you probably would ever be able to if you're just utilizing the business's own capital, or if you're trying to do it through more conventional ways. It's hard. I think that's a, you know, you're, it's sort of high risk, high return is sort of the model, right? Right, right. What are they looking for as far as exiting? Because I know typically they're trying to get in and get out pretty quickly. Mm, You know, I mean, it depends. I mean, not that quickly. And it really depends on the the overall market and sort of what's going on. You know, it used to be that the goal was to IPO for companies. Now, not so much. There are so many really large, bigger investors who can buy out the company outright. There are strategic people who can buy out the company outright. There's a lot of ways for an investor to exit while kind of, you know, at different time horizons. I think people these days are probably looking for more of a 10-year time horizon, but it really depends. We're kind of middle of the journey. I don't think we're anywhere close to the end. It's sort of opportunistic, right? Like if someone were to swoop in and and give you an offer you can't refuse because you just happen to fit in to their portfolio or to the uh, have a have a need and fill a need that the company wants to build, but it would cost them too much to build. You know, it could happen much much sooner. Right. Yeah. I guess it definitely depends on that. And as you're going out doing the rounds of investors, how is that impacting the shares of the company? Well, it depends, right? You usually end up issuing more shares and that, so it dilutes the existing investors, but you're doing so at a higher value for the company at each and every round. So like if you kind of calculated how much each person's stake is worth, it becomes, you know, the value of it is more each and every time, but you know, people's stakes do get diluted and some investors will buy more. Like there's something called Parada where an investor in an early round will be able to buy in the next round. So they're trying to basically maintain their stake. They might do things like give the management team more equities so that their stake doesn't get too diluted, but it's, it's typical for, for folks just to kind of get diluted through the various rounds of capital that are raised. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Again, there's not a world that I'm in mm-hmm. bootstrapped all the way over here. I'm always fascinated though around the investors, the venture capitalists or angel investors. I always have questions around that. Yeah. So. And I mean, I think it's a way to grow a business. I'm not mm-hmm. sure knowing what I know now, that would necessarily be the next way I grow a business, but it, it is, it, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to it. Obviously, you know, having capital available to hire top tier talent and to grow faster is very exciting, but you know, there's disadvantages, right? I mean, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of the folks in our entrepreneurs group have had bootstrapped their business and they've retained control and they have ownership of their own destiny in ways that I don't, right. Since, you know, since I have investors and they own a large chunk of the business. Right. Um, So it's just, it's just a different way. Yeah. It's a different way, but I think it's exciting either way to kind of be at the helm of something that's changing mm-hmm. the world in some ways, yeah. even if it's a small piece of the world, but mm-hmm. trucking is a huge piece of the world. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool to be in the forefront of bringing technology to a space that still does money orders. <laughs> right. Right. And I love it. It's, I mean, I have a lot of affection for the industry. I grew up in West Virginia And, you know, right along the interstate would buy a bunch of truck stops and sort of kind of have a lot of appreciation for sort of the blue collar working family and just sort of kind of, I don't know, I feel like I get the market we're trying to serve and the fact that 
we have a relatively easy way to make their businesses work better is really, you know, it's just very, very compelling to me. And it's something that I, I take a lot of pride in. Yeah, I love that. One more question. Okay. And you can look back. You don't have to look back just over the past five years. You can look back over your career in corporate and things like that. But what's one thing that you would tell your younger self if you could go back? Marry the right person. <laughs> right. So I've, I got divorced during COVID. And so having the right partner to help you. I mean, I, we had a good marriage and we, I love my children and, and all, but like, I think who you're partnered with is really important for your professional or not, right? You can choose mm-hmm. one way or the other, but like seeing your, you know, thinking about these things is blending together and understanding that, you know, your professional destiny is going to be connected to how your personal life is going and how that person supports you and partners with you and, you know, who stays at home or who supports the family and what kind of flexibility there is. And, you know, all of those things are deeply intertwined and kind of understanding and making sure you're having those conversations with your partner and you find the person that matches what you have in mind or can imagine yourself doing is, is really important. I think I did not have, it worked out fine for me. I think young me did not really consciously have that, make that decision, right? I wasn't like, Hey, is this, you know, what do I want to do professionally? And how many kids do I want to have? And who's going to take care of the kids and for how long? And, you know, what do I want my out, you know, outside of my professional life to look like? And I I don't know. I just never really thought all all that through. I was just like, let's fall in love and have yeah. But those things are all one thing, right? I mean, yes, I would definitely tell my young self that, but I young young Robin would not have listened. Right. Of course not. (laughs) It's it's funny though, because Ethan and I literally just talked about this yesterday. We went to a conference last week and we were driving back from Florida yesterday. And I told him, I said, you know, it's so important to pick the right spouse or partner, Mm -hmm. because if you don't have the right person, you could just be bumping heads or like going in opposite directions. And it's not to say you have to have the exact same interests, but I think that word support being supportive is the key. And yeah, we just literally had that conversation yesterday. And for you to bring that up, is just like, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely what I would tell my children. I'm actually, I'm, I'm very happy that my boys have seen, have have this very strange view of the world, having had their mom be very professionally minded and, you know, the primary breadwinner for the family all these years. And I think I'm very curious to see what their personal relationships look like and what they expect from their spouses at some point in time, given sort mm. of how they've been raised. I'm hopefully, hopefully they they will have learned some lessons from mom, but I don't know, you know, my kids, it could go either way. (laughs) It could go either way, but I'm sure they definitely have learned something. They've learned a lot from it. Well, Robin, thank you so much for the time. This has been such a great conversation and I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Monica. I appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank Robin for joining the Become Your Own Boss podcast, sharing her story of becoming a CEO and an entrepreneur. There were so many takeaways from Robin that I wanted to share a few that I gathered as we chatted. 
My first takeaway is if your business solves a problem that makes people in an industry excited and there's a large number of people in that space or in that industry, you have a winning combination. Number two, I love what Robin said about her team members being able to see her mom. We are multifaceted people and we cannot be expected to live our lives in a silo. So feel comfortable. Let your team see you mommying or daddying because it is a part of your life and it is an essential part of your life. Third, your relationship partner can be a vital part to your professional success or lack thereof. For those of you in this stage of life, choose carefully. One thing over the years that I've learned in my relationship is that the way a person grew up greatly impacts their expectations. For example, when Ethan and I first started our business, we would work really late, often eating dinner at 11 p.m. or midnight. But once we had kids, I wanted to begin to sit down for dinners as a family at a more reasonable hour, of course. That is how I grew up. Dinner was usually on our table by 5, 5.30 every day. However, Ethan was accustomed to having siblings of varying ages and parents who worked different schedules. So sitting down all together was not always an option, especially during the work week and school week. We had to become aware of this so we could address it and figure out a compromise that worked for both of us. We made a commitment to eat towards the later part of the evening, but much earlier. And we would both do our best to be home to share dinners with our kids. Now, that does not always work, but it does happen more often than not. And number four, my fourth takeaway is that we are resilient. We are resilient people. Despite COVID, running a business while doing at home learning with our kiddos a couple of years ago. If you're listening to this, you made it through. So we can persevere. Our kids are resilient. Even if they've had to dress up and move around behind you in your Zoom screen. We did that. And it is time that we got to share with them that was unprecedented, which was the word of 2020, I believe. But it's time that honestly, we won't get back in that same way. We are resilient. So you can wake up each day and think that you can persevere and you are resilient. At Become Your Own Boss Podcast, that is now my handle on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Follow me or subscribe in all the places for business tips and inspiration and soon you'll be able to see full episodes of my interviews on YouTube. Take a moment to become a part of my community by heading over to my website, monicaallen.com, or see the link in the show notes. Simply complete the pop-up window with your name and email address. I want to bring more to you in 2023, so join my community to be the first to know what is happening. Thank you so much for listening today. Now is the time. Now is the time to level up, leave a legacy, and become your own boss.